Welcome to Winning with Connections, the WWC podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking to Aisha Bowe, the CEO of STEM Board. I have gotten introduced to Aisha fairly recently, and she is a new-ish, not new, but newer than us, I guess, at least, 8A firm. She's an absolute rock star, and I absolutely love talking to her. So I wanted to bring her on the podcast, have a little bit of a conversation about being a new 8A who's been in the space for a while, but leveraging the 8A status, but also have a little bit of a conversation about being a leader in really trying times as well as we've been talking a lot about how to manage living through a pandemic and being a leader in a pandemic that's such an uncertain time and how to how to deal with that. So first and foremost, thank you, Aisha, for, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm really excited to, to kind of chat. So we, one of our mutual friends uh, got us together basically because she said you guys are two kind of powerhouse women in the industry and, and you should really know each other. Um, can you tell me a little bit about STEM board and your background? You've got a great, really cool background. And of course you went to Michigan, so go blue. <laughs> it's always that. Uh, we got it. Got to, got to put the go blue in there. So, you know, I love to consider myself the accidental engineer. The thing about me is, you know, I started my degree in aerospace engineering with pre-algebra at a community college, specifically Washtenaw Community College in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which you would be familiar with. And so I really didn't start life thinking, hey, I'm going to one day be a CEO of an 8A company that works in the IC. Not at all. That was not, no, I just wanted to get a job and maybe graduate and find some way to be productive in life. And so when I ended up realizing I had an aptitude in math and started about the journey of personal discovery that led me into studying aerospace at Michigan and eventually graduating with a master's and going to work for NASA, I just wanted to really expand my boundaries and do things that I thought were exciting. And that led me into the field of contracting, because after spending six years as a government employee, I sort of was reading these contract bids and proposals thinking, you know what, I could, I think I could do this. Mm-hmm. And not only did I want to do it, I wanted to do it in a way where I created a company that gave back to communities that were underserved while building technically superior solutions. And that's what you have in STEM board. We've been around since 2013. We spent several years working as a subcontractor to the usual suspects, as I call them. You know, they're the GDITs, the Booz Allen Hamiltons, the companies to which many of us are subcontractors or maybe colleagues as prime. And throughout that experience, I absolutely loved not only what we were able to do and build as a company, but the fact that a portion of every hour that my team members spent working on contracts that advanced the nation went into supporting homegrown education and outreach programs. And so at STEM board, the majority of our revenue is IC contracting. However, 20% comes from the work we do in the communities to provide workshops and camps to inspire kids to pursue engineering at no cost. I love that. I love that you do that. And your your background is, uh, you know, coming from a non-traditional background and doing this and, and being, I love that because I, we, I call them, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I like the accidental engineer as well. 
but you know, you've made it work and you've, you've done it, you've pulled it off and you've, you've gotten to a really solid small firm. You just recently, if I remember correctly, uh, you just recently or fairly recently got 8A status, right? Yes, correct. So we've been an 8A for the past year. And it was important to me to wait to undergo that journey. I wanted to understand what it was like to be a contracting company. And once again, this was sort of an accident. We were a DOD Meta protege. We spent three years in the program, and we absolutely loved supporting our combatant command partners out of Colorado Springs. And I remember working the first contract and wondering why the document was like 80 pages long and just saying to myself, whoa. This is going to be like getting another master's. And really, it's like a PhD or like a whole nother. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's levels to this, right? I mean, the accounting mm-hmm. and the legal and the HR, there's a lot to learn. And I wanted to really be able to take advantage of the program before we entered it. Yes. I, I can't tell you how many firms I tell wait until you get the 8A. Don't get the 8A right away. You're not going to be able to leverage it effectively. So it is a really good thing that you waited. And now you're able to take advantage of it right in the middle, unfortunately, right in the middle of a pandemic. But you're able to take advantage of the opportunities that it gives you because you've got all of the other pieces together, right? You've figured out how to read a contract. You figured out how to propose on a contract. You figured out how to be a subcontractor. You figured out how to hire people and how to place people and all of that stuff that if you don't know how to do that, it, it becomes very hard to leverage that 8A status and be a very successful company. That nine years goes really, really fast. Uh, it seems like it won't, but uh, we are coming up to the end of our nine years and I'll tell you, wow, did that go fast. So it's a really good thing that you waited. I'm so happy to hear that, but it's yes. alarming to me how quickly time flies. Like, I really feel like April took forever. It felt like being in high school and waiting for the clock <laughs> so that you could like get out of school for the day That's before like summer break, right? When you're just like, oh, I'm done with this. Like we, yes. We've covered all the material. I'm ready to go. That's right. what April felt like, but getting Getting over the initial hump to now has been whiplash, and a year in the ADA program has been has been the same for us. It really has been a clip. So I can't imagine that the next eight years would not move at the same pace. It's amazing, and and you realize, you know, one of the things that you'll have to deal with later is that you're going to get really used to ADA status. I know you haven't fully been able to optimize it yet. And we're going to talk about how to do that uh, a little bit more. But I will tell you, at some point, it'll turn around into I'm optimizing it too much. And it's a crutch. So we'll talk about that later in a few years. But first of all, you have to leverage it. First and foremost, it is an incredible opportunity. It is something that we the first year or two, we were too proud to use it, which was absolutely stupid. Um, and you know, I don't need the 8A status. I don't need to rely on that. I'm doing well on my own. Nope. That's dumb. It's a great program. It's there for you to utilize. And we've, you and I have talked a little bit about, and I'm going to, I want to talk through some of the options that you're working on now uh, and how, how to do those. We're near the end of the fiscal year, leveraging that easy button that is the direct award through 8A in that end of fiscal year uh, is really critical. 
So you and I talked a little bit about the three pillars, and I'll, we'll share with the listeners again, the three pillars of what you need to get a contract. And, and we'll talk about them a little bit within the 8A program in particular. So you need, first, a bona fide need, right? They actually need to have some services done. Then you need a funding source. You actually need to be able to pay for it. And then you need a contract vehicle. Those are the three things that are absolutely critical in order to get a customer to take your requirement or your offering and bring it into a contract. So those three things. Let's talk about that in terms of kind of what you can do in the next. It's hard because it's we're really only talking four weeks now, but you've got some great relationships, right? In the IC, you've got some great relationships elsewhere. Let's talk about how you might be able to leverage those relationships using the 8A program. And we talked a little bit about it. So maybe you can talk about maybe how you're trying to do that. Absolutely. I'm like, clearly I'm on the right podcast because this, <laughs> this is something that people need to know. And I also yes. am eager to hear some of your feedback on some of the strategies that we've been employing. So we've, uh, covered the spectrum from writing and submitting unsolicited proposals for capabilities that we have demonstrated past performance on, meaning we have familiarity with the requirements owners Mm -hmm. and we recognize that it's a validated capability gap. We are actively just emailing small business offices, some of whom we have connections with, some of whom may be new, but that are in alignment with uh, past performance and requesting capability briefs. We've done so many virtual capabilities briefs now. You know, I've got like my angles and I'm like ready, right? For when we've got to be on video and and be presentable. But in addition, we also now have um, an email and a a call campaign because people are being inundated with emails because most of them are at home. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge that I would love to hear from you is being able to connect the need and the funding when so many of us are used to being in a skiff, right? So when I'm in a skiff environment, I have a better understanding of what that need is. Yeah. And I have a better understanding of what the funding source is. But now I sort of feel like I'm I'm flying with a hand or two behind my back. Yeah, totally. So so let's talk a little bit about when you are actually in a skiff or when you are able to have that hands-on relationship, because that's the easier thing. And then we can pivot that from that hands-on relationship. So the easiest way to do this is an 8A. And I think you've done this, or we've at least talked about you doing this uh, fairly successfully, even outside of the 8A program. You have a relationship, you know what the need is of that customer, right? It may not be something that is on a uh, procurement forecast out there. It's not necessarily something that anyone else is tracking. It's just because you know who that customer is, uh, and what's going on with them. And so you say, wait a second, you know, I know you're really struggling with X. You know that we do Y, right? And so that's that bona fide need. And that customer knows you, knows that you can do Y, um, knows that they're struggling with X. And they say, I really want you to do this for me. So that's the, the first piece of that three pillar um, kind of stool. The second piece is the funding. And then, you know, that's, that's just playing through DOD or, or any other agency's um, palm process or, you know, really good customers know exactly how to play and how to hide funding so that they can grab it for you when they've got a, a, a bona fide need. But you got to figure out, you know, the, the, the color of money, the lines of funding um, and making sure that they actually have a way to pay you for that bona fide need. 
And then you get to that walking them through, hand walking them through the process of getting you as a direct award, because that's a whole lot easier for everyone involved than um, than doing a competitive award. It takes a lot less time to do a direct award. We've had them. I will say the the fastest we ever did one was at SOCOM. I think it was four hours. I will never do that again. Um, but usually you can get one in kind of the best case scenario in a couple of weeks, certainly in a couple of months, whereas the competitive award sometimes takes six months or more. So so that easy button of the, the 8A, but knowing how to walk the customer and sometimes even the contracting officer through how to do that so that they they know they're not doing anything wrong. They know that that this isn't against the Competition and Contracting Act, um, that this isn't doing something untoward, um, that, that they're able to do it. So that's that's the like old way or the pre-COVID, I guess, way of doing things. There are also a couple of ways it sounds like that you're you're trying that we've had success doing in terms of say, calling or getting in touch with a contracting officer or a small business office and reminding them you're there, you're in 8A, and hey, if there are any requirements, here's what we do and here's here's what we can do. If you get in good with a small business officer or with a specific contracting officer, sometimes they're a great conduit for particularly end-of-year requirements that pop up. We did this five, four or five years ago. We got in with a couple of contracting officers at the State Department who got past our name because we had done some really good work at State earlier and they were looking for an 8A and somebody had said, oh, go see WWC. We did the first one. It went really smoothly and they just kept coming to us over the course of you know a month and gave us I don't know, four or five awards, uh, direct awards because they knew it was going to be easy for them that we would make the customer happy and we would make the the employees happy because we had strong benefits and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's another path that we've been able to do for 8A. Uh, and then the third path that we often do is reminding our large business partners, particularly, that, hey, by the way, if you're running into a problem getting something done in the, at the last minute, you can use us. You remember, we've got 8A, we can do a direct award. So we've had a number of firms that are fairly large, really solid firms that we love doing business with. And we pick up the phone at the end of the year and say, hey, keep in mind the 8A status just in case you need it. And every year we end up with one or two options. Sometimes they come through, sometimes they don't. But where they've been trying to get it on contract, it was supposed to be competitive, you know, or it was supposed to go direct award through a JNA or whatever. And they're like, hey, can you guys do this? Can you prime it for us? And, you know, they only get to take 49%, but 49% of something is a lot better than 100% of nothing. So those are the ways that we've used it in the past. What you're talking about now in the COVID environment is you don't have that glad handing, right? You don't have the ability to walk in and make or continue those relationships. One thing I would say is continue the relationships that you do have and make sure that you're picking up the phone and talking to those people. But 
remind people of who you are or or get into new people and remind them at the end of this fiscal year that you're available and that when they have end of year money, there's going to be so much weird end of year money this year, right? No travel. So all of the travel budgets, you know, certain agencies have been really good at sweeping up their travel budgets early. We've seen some of them that are not. So all of that OMEN funding may end up being available. And if you're talking to them and saying, hey, here's what we can do if you get funding, you know, have a white paper ready to go that they can turn from a white paper into a PWS very, very quickly and have your talking points ready to go. How, how do you do an 8A? Here, you go through these five steps. So you can do this very, very quickly, get in with a contracting officer and go. Um, but it really is just getting to what is that bona fide need either from the from the customer standpoint, right, the actual end user, or to the extent you can, any of the contracting officers that have used you before, we're picking up the phone and calling them and saying, just remember, if you have any last minute requirements, we're always happy to do some, and we're always happy to, to work with another firm if you need us to. Uh, Absolutely. So what I love about what you said is I found that, you know, entering into the program, I think there was a lot of like, oh, this is going to be easy. You're going to get prime contracts and they're going to fall from the sky. And the reality is like, absolutely not. It is work. It is a lot of investment in BD. And we've tried some iterations of these emails. And what I've found is that taking time to work with your team and looking at the forecast and looking at the requirements, just so that when you email somebody, you sound knowledgeable, goes a long way. I think that's a concrete tip for the new 8As out there is don't just send a email that I'm an 8A and I would like some work. No, by far, we are getting the best responses from emails where we're like, these are our capabilities and this is how it maps to your requirements and your forecast. And oh, by the way, if you have end of year requirements, this is where we feel that we're strong. Here are yep. our core capability areas. Can we brief you? Yep. And, and oh, by the way, so it's leading with all, you're exactly right. It's leading with all of the things you can do for them, all of the things that are necessary for them. And then, oh, by the way, we've got the easy button of the 8A. So after you've done all of this where you're saying, we know that these are the requirements that you have. Here's how we match up to them, either through the forecast or, you know, we know that you guys have been at there's, you know, SOCOM has had some some stuff in the press lately. And so we'll turn around to whoever is going to be handling that and say, hey, we're seeing you guys are having some struggles here on A, B and C. Right. Remember, we do this stuff. And oh, by the way, if you need end of year money or if you have end of year money, you can get us really quickly because we're an 8A but you can't lead with the 8A stuff. Absolutely. A thousand percent never lead with it. I mean, you know, and that's one thing where I was really grateful that we had five years of past performance before we entered into Mm -hmm. the 8A program, because mostly what we're looking at is saying, Hey, we've done this. We've supported large primes and full and open bids. Mm-hmm. We, you know, have year years where we can just tell you about what we've done. So hands down, I think that's like a solid piece of advice for those who are listening to us, you know, go back and forth. Is do not lead with the 8A program. Mm-hmm. Lead with what you can do for the client 
mm-hmm. and how you may be able to support their end of the year recs. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And then it's the ADA is a great tool, right? It is a phenomenal tool for a business to be able to turn something that should be able to be turned for them, but is difficult because contracting is complicated and contracting is complex and it takes a while. 8A is a great tool to get the customer through that contracting process quickly, but it's not the panacea. You've got to have the customer who wants you. You've got to have the customer who has a need. You've got to have the customer who has money. And then the 8A becomes a really effective tool for that. So talk to me about this email and phone campaign that you're doing. What kind of things, what what seems to be working, if anything? And COVID makes everything harder. So you know, understandably, not everything is going to work and you're going to put in a whole lot of effort to to maybe not as much uh, benefit as you thought it was going to be. But talk to me about is is anything working with that? Yeah. So we had first tapped on our 8A POC in the Washington office and we asked her for recommendations as to what agency she noticed a lot of positive 8A movement. And she provided us with a short list of, hey, call these people, call this person, call this person. And really what I wanted to do was get her to introduce us to people who she's worked with that know her and that it can be a warmer introduction and then keep her copied so that there's maybe a little bit of a, hey, well, this person and I have a professional relationship. I know this is one of the eight A's in her portfolio and maybe I should follow up. So that actually has gone pretty well. Uh, As you can imagine... (laughs) That's awesome. Never thought of doing that. That's a great idea. Yeah, there's got to be, I mean, because oftentimes they don't know you as a company, right? And so it can be easy for someone to ignore your email, but they know that they may be working with that rep for at least another year or so. And so why not leverage their connections first? Understandably, it can be hard to get your 8A POC to respond. I mean, some of them had 50, 60 companies that they're managing at a time, but I do think it's worth a call and a campaign to get their attention and get them to warm intro you to contracting officers and their SBA context and maybe in other agencies. So that was our first stop. After that, I also went to friends of mine who own companies and I simply said, like I said to you, hey, like, who do you know? Are there any intros or are there any things that maybe we can we can do together? And that was the next tranche of people that we started to build into our list. Like, okay, we got a referral from WWC. So we're going to hit up this person and tell them that we can do this thing, right? Yeah. Do we have white papers? Do we have any type of bait that we can fish with to get their yeah. response? The white paper strategy has been outstanding. Almost Every person that we sent a white paper has responded and has said, okay, I'm going to at least put this in front of a requirements owner. Yes. People seem to like those. Yes. They like white papers. Right. That has been more of a, a draw than simply asking for a capabilities brief. Now, what I found is with the capabilities brief emails, we really took some time to try to create one that had three pieces in it. And three pieces were... This is our past performance. This is who we've supported. This is what we noticed you have on your forecast and that we may be able to align to. And can we have a conversation with you about requirements that you may have at the end of the year? And then the fourth thing, which really isn't 
and the highlighted in the one through three is we have GSA schedules. We're an 8A. We have facilities clearance. We do work at above a TS level. So it's just kind of just like the crumbs at the bottom there, yeah. right? But yeah. it's capability, capability, oh, capability. Yeah, that's great. And it's, and that's what you need to be doing is you need I, the white paper. The reason the white paper is so effective is because if it grabs anyone's attention, it turns from a white paper into a PWS with the, you know, with, with a fairly light lift from the customer side of the house. So if they like it, that turns from an idea to an executable option very quickly. And it makes their job a whole lot easier. Wait, you've given me a white paper. I hadn't thought of this before. Let me turn this into something. So I, I absolutely love that. And, you know, you're doing that in the time of COVID where you can't go walk the the halls, where you can't, frankly, go to an industry day. The industry day is now a really strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're like... It's hard. It's really, we are such a face-to-face industry. It is such a relational industry that it, this COVID stuff has been really, really difficult. It's nice to hear kind of how you're getting around that. That's awesome. Well, we're definitely doing our, you know, doing our hardest to try to to pierce what I can imagine is a flood of emails. I mean, I have to imagine that every single contracting officer and POC industry engagement person is looking at a wall of emails every single day. So the question then becomes, what do you answer? Because for myself, I know I prioritize the things that look important and that have interesting titles and that maybe have people that I know that are on those those email trails. Yep. Absolutely. So have you leveraged at all? One of the other things that we did not do until later in the game and have realized that it is incredibly effective. And in fact, we've gotten a couple of direct awards straight out of them. Have you been leveraging RFIs at all? We have responded to RFIs. I will say we responded to about five when we made the transition from being on site to being mostly working at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, in April, May timeframe, I have not found any responses to our RFIs yet. They, they, I don't know if that's just it, it's kind of like scattershot, right? Yeah. Like we're just out there shooting things. We're putting yep. in RFIs. We're putting in white papers. We're hoping that something pops. So it could just be the RFIs that we responded to. Most of those were really narrow. We were looking yep. at responses in areas like AI and ML. That yeah. is my uh, recommendation, actually, for a lot of AIs is like if you, sorry, uh, 8As, if you have a technical team, just focus them on these emerging capability areas. Because yeah. I said to my team in April, hey, oh, there are going to be a lot of people that are going after PM work. There's going to be a lot of people that's going after financial work. Mm-hmm. We need to go after work that is unique and yep. that we can really bring something here that's going to yep. raise an eyebrow. Yep, absolutely. And honestly, I mean, the RFI process, I would say it takes probably 20 to one, if not more, to get somewhere. So we have had multiple times where we've we've thrown in RFIs, nothing comes of it. We've thrown another RFI, nothing comes of it. But we have done a couple of them now where we put in an RFI, they said, We'd like to talk to you. There was uh, one, in fact, we just got the recompete for it this week. 
the first one that we got was we had put in an RFI. They invited us and I kid you not, I think 15 other firms to do an oral presentation. And we, we did, you know, we were ready for the oral presentation. We had something more than what they asked for. So we had everything they asked for. And then we had stuffed in my bag. Oh, by the way, you guys are doing strategy and planning. Let me just, you know, I just got a briefing from one of our, one of our employees on our state department contract. Let me pull this out of my briefcase. It had nothing to do with this. Totally planted to say, (laughs) here's, you know, let me show you this thing that I just saw we were doing yesterday and I just got a briefing on it. This is the kind of thing that we would be able to bring to the table as a template for, for you. And I see that, you know, the colonel elbowing the, the lieutenant colonel next to him. I see the contracting officer kind of sit up straighter. And then, uh, and I see the small businesswoman like smiling. And so they said at the end of the, at the end of the briefing, do you have any questions? And I said, well, yeah, I have one. Have you thought about direct awarding this? Hmm. And they said, not until just now. Hey, and hey. a week later, we had a direct award. I so it was great. And they, and by the way, one of the firms that was briefing that was expected to get this was the incumbent. But we, they liked more of what we were doing. And so we were able to do that. But that was probably one of 25, 30 RFIs that we put in that year. But the same thing happened with another, you know, another contract that we put in or another RFI. They recognized one of our subject matter experts' names. And they said, we want to talk to you because you've got a really impressive person here in Bill Campbell. If you've got Bill Campbell, you've got to be pretty good. And and that was all it took. Um, and then we had to go sell it. And then we had to go show them that that we were, you know, the best of the of the firms out there. But it just took recognizing something off of an RFI. But again, maybe 20 to one or more uh, that come out of that. So, but the RFIs, I never understood why to use RFIs or how to use RFIs. We use them as a potential direct award source or an ability to get something set aside. If we put in an RFI and we say, hey, we're a woman-owned and 8A small business, and they end up coming out with an 8A or a woman-owned set aside, we know we had some influence on that. And it's more than likely that we're going to go after it unless, you know, there are some red flags there. But you can really get stuff tailored. But we really have had at least a few direct awards out of no relationship whatsoever outside of just an RFI going in and then allowing that to turn into a relationship. So what I love about everything that you said, and I'm sure that your listeners already know this, is like you're sort of like a spirit animal. (laughs) And there's so much here. I mean, yes. How to use RFIs is important, but it's this resilience thing, right? right? It's like this this idea. Because yeah. I know when I first started the business, I used to sort of feel some way. I was like, that was a really good proposal. It was perfect. It was grammatically correct. And yep. it makes sense. But you didn't pick it up and you may not have even read it. I mean, I actually had yeah. to like, you know, grow some, some, I had to grow myself. Yeah, <laughs> I 
you know, I, I think this is probably a rated G podcast, so it's yeah. my language, but yes. I need to, to kind of grow into where I'm at now where yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to ask for what I want and I'm going to email you and email you and email you yep. again. And I'm not sure if I mind so much if you feel that I've been email stalking you because you haven't awarded me a contract yet. Right. And I think that small businesses have to adopt that mindset more often. Yeah. It's just like, there's no room for shame in this game. We all have to fend for our companies and yeah. getting to that point where you can actually say like, look, I'm not doing any exclusive TAs. I'm bidding all my work prime and I'm going to keep at it until I get what I feel that we deserve is really, really key. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you have to, first of all, the thing I tell my team all the time is it's the worst they can do. Laugh at you. Okay. Right. Like what does it matter? You've got friends. You, you've got your own. If, if you're looking for friends out of this business, you're in the wrong industry. You, you've got your friends. You should have your friends. You're looking for business. So you're not looking for validation. You're not looking for ego boosting. You're looking for business. So the worst that they can do, I mean, obviously you don't want to annoy people because if they were going to give you work and then you're going to annoy them and they don't want to give you work, that's a problem. But you throw in on this stuff and, you know, I know just like you do, you've put in perfect proposals that nobody's read before because there was... Yeah. You know what? Okay. You're like, oh, oh, my life. It sucks. It's awful. And then you stand up, move on and try the next time. You know, we've had awards that we knew were dirty and I was railing at them at the time. Uh, This isn't fair. It's not right. We know these guys have a plant on the tour selection board. We know that they, you know, whatever. Okay. You know what? Move on. That wasn't our award. That wasn't our thing. But if you just keep going, that's going to end up getting you to where you need to be. You can, it's not fair. It's not right. It's not whatever. You can whine and cry about that all you want. But really what in the end you've got to do is pick yourself up and get to the next one or else all you do is sit there and say, it's not right. It's not fair. That's true. It's not right. It's not fair. And you are still at that point, a business owner that has no work. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) So tough love, but it's, you know, you just have to keep going. And, and if you don't have that grit, if you don't have an ego that is big enough to withstand a whole lot of rejection and a whole lot of people laughing in your face and a whole lot of people saying, you don't know what the heck you're doing. And you and I, I know have seen this before where people are, are also saying, you know, you're a woman who the heck do you think you are? You're not military. You're not this, you're not that who the heck do you think you are? If you take that to heart, you're never going to get anywhere. You just have to stand up. Here's who I am. And see what I love about that is consistently proving people wrong. Yeah. I feel like that should be on my resume, right? Right. Like try to try to tell me I can't and let's see what happens. But that's where I love people like you who are so inclusive. And I also want to implore all the small business owners. It doesn't matter if you're an 8A or non-8A woman, not a woman is talk to your colleagues because the best conversations I have fall underneath like the old crap bin where I'm like, okay, (laughs) this just went absolutely and completely left. Please tell me what to do. 
Yeah. There's no, you know, you, and you have to have those conversations because you will get into situations where your technical performance is not the issue. It is yeah. a cantankerous government client. Oh, yeah. And you need to know how to navigate that. Oh, yeah. And these situations sometimes, you know, they, they sound like things that you may want to keep close to your team, but absolutely not. Yeah. Put up, you know, yeah. pick up your cell phone and call Lauren at WWC and <laughs> tell her that stuff went okay. down, right? Or yep. whoever else is in your is in your village, and I, I think that's that's so incredibly important. Well, we've talked about this. It's really lonely to be the leader in your firm, right? You can't have some of these conversations with the people below you because you have to be unimpeachable. You have to be the cheerleader. You have to be the one who knows what they're doing, and. But you don't, you're not supposed to know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I still don't know what I'm doing half the time. I, I know what I've done before and I know what's worked and I can usually try to figure it out. There are a lot of things where I need help and I need guidance and you need help and you need guidance. And as long as you've got some trusted agents that are peers or near peers to you who you can trust, that's the best thing you can do. Because if you don't, if you don't have that, forget it. This I want to have like, you know, I, so I agree with you, but I want to have like a moment of just, let me just be vulnerable and, and real. Yeah. I think the best thing that I ever did for my organization was be, be able to stand up and say, I don't have all the answers. Absolutely. I really, and I'm going to just tell you that I'm, I'm limping right now. Yeah. Right. That doesn't mean that I can't lead. And that doesn't mean that I'm not yeah. going to stroke some checks, but I don't know what to do. So mm-hmm. as a business, you know, we, experience what a lot of people did in April with, you know, the pandemic, shifting mm-hmm. our work to being at home. I have not gotten this much sunlight in years. I'm so used to being <laughs> right. I'm so used right. to being in this gift. And right. half the time we're on the phone and I'm like, I don't even know if I can talk about this with you. So I'm not talking about it. It's right. such a strange new world. And I yeah. said to the team, hey you guys, I know we're used to being defense contractors, but we need to be educational product providers. And I don't know how we get there. I just need you to help me get there because I need to make sure that we can diversify our revenue streams so we can insulate ourselves against the future that is uncertain. And I think that's another important piece is, look, this whole experience of operating a company in a global health crisis (laughs) is uncharted. Like nobody knows really what they're doing. But amazing things come from communicating that to the people around you. My engineering team has done things that I did not think was possible. We have physical products that shipped to over a thousand kids in the last 30 days because I said to my engineering team, I need for you guys to rise to this occasion. And we now, so we actually submitted three prime proposals this week. Full volume. Full volume. I cannot wait to have a shot of tequila and go to bed. Lauren, <laughs> I'm going to, after this, I'm going oh, to bed. God. But I'm actually going to sleep well because right. I literally had to step back and say, my team got everything that I needed to nail GSA stars and two unsolicited proposals. And we have two more that we're submitting early next week on top of the three white papers that they did. That's and, amazing, and that makes me so happy to hear you're doing that because that's that's the only way you do this. You just churn. 
Right. But this was from a team who they were geospatial analysts and systems yep. engineers yep. and data engineers who were used to going in every single day and working with data and systems. Yep. And when I told them that we needed to pivot in the pandemic and we were going to have meetings about how to do this, they said, Aisha, well, we're going to learn how to do BD. And I think that that's the unspoken gift of all of this is as business owners, we're always trying to find ways to pull people maybe 5% or 10% of time off of billable work so that they can review a tech volume or they can advise a proposal team. But Mm -hmm. my team simply said, well, we're going to write the tech volumes because we are the tech team. That's amazing. And that, well, it goes to show you how loyal your team is, how good a leader you are for them to do that. Because That's not what a lot of teams would do. It's funny, I had some other firm ask me one day, how do you get your how do you get your employees to do more than the the work on contract? And I looked at them and I was like, I don't know. But they ask to do it. Like, not everyone, and we don't expect it and we don't demand it, but they're all invested in the the success of the firm because they're bought in. And it struck me that not all firms have that and not all firms do that. And that's really, really important. And what you're saying is that your team turned around and went, okay, boss, let's go. What are we doing? How do we do it? And you saying, I don't know yet, but let's figure it out together. That vulnerability is really meaningful. It is really real. You can't have vulnerability all the time with them. You can't show them that you're losing your mind, right? Um, Even when you are. But you can say, I don't know the answers, but let's figure it out together. People respect that. Think about how many times you've been in a meeting with somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And you're just like, just admit it. Yes, just admit it so I can go and find my answer. And I I think it's a a testament of that. It's just if you can say, look, I need you to help. And then you also create space for everybody's unique gifts. You know, we're CEOs. We're all clearly talented. And we have a skill set that's unique or otherwise we wouldn't be here. But that doesn't mean that other people don't have beautiful gifts of their own that Mm -hmm. they can bring to you to solve your problem. And so that was me learning. And that's a huge thing for me. It was like I had to learn to make space for that. Yeah. And and look, you can be vulnerable. And that's when when I say it's lonely and, and you can't show kind of all of it to your team, that's not what I'm talking about. You the the ability to show you don't know what you're talking about all the time, that's actually, I think, good leadership because I I'm I'm hoping I'm surrounding myself and I know I am actually surrounding myself with people who are a whole lot smarter than me on a whole lot of things. Because if they're not, then they shouldn't be around us and they're not adding to the team. So Showing that you don't know things and they know more than you do, that's really good leadership. Showing them that you're panicked in the middle of a pandemic, sometimes maybe not, but sometimes it is. You know, sometimes that's okay to say, look, we're all struggling here. This is harder. And I, you know, I've said this more times than I can count in this pandemic. You know, when my daughter breaks into one of our calls and, and, you know, has a meltdown because she can't get on a Zoom call. This is hard to balance, right? This is really difficult to balance. And being that vulnerable is really useful. But having other people who are dealing with the same leadership challenges that are outside of the of your firm is also absolutely critical so that you can bounce ideas off of someone 
who is not directly tied to it and directly impacted by it. I love that because the emotional IQ thing has been huge, right? I mean, I'm classically an engineer and I don't really think we were thought of of like the most social animals in the forest traditionally. (laughs) So for me, it was like, oh, like we all now have to like experience some emotional range that we didn't have to do before when we were at work. And yeah. it's really, it, it takes a little getting used to and some practice, but you're absolutely right that it, it ends up being a solid leadership trait and yeah. really helps build confidence in, in the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we could literally talk for another hour or two here, but let me wrap it up for today. And assuming everyone can see exactly why I love having these conversations with Aisha, because you are just a breath of fresh air it is so much fun to talk to you about you are so far with this firm. You are going to take this to new heights and I'm excited to work with you. But this has been a great kind of early step in how to leverage 8A and also a little, just a little bit about how to be a leader in the middle of this, this crazy time that we find ourselves in. So thank you so much. If you have, uh, do you have any Final thoughts before we let our audience go? I just want to encourage everybody to contact Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) I have to because you've created such a wonderful platform that allows people to share the things that aren't commonly talked about, right? There's no real good playbook for this that I found. Mm -hmm. Yes, people have written books on contracting, but I feel like it's all in the nuance. And so being able to tune into a dialogue where two people who are at different stages of their corporation's maturity are saying, hey, this is what I experienced and this is what works for us. It it was for me invaluable. So it's like a thank you. And that more people should contact you and you should think about the blog. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I can't wait for our next talk because I can't wait to see what what you you do over the next couple of months, what you do over the next couple of years. And I have no doubt we are going to be hearing a whole lot about STEM board as you grow from the company you are now to a dramatically bigger company that is really making changes for not only the government, but also Girls in STEM and all of the other projects that you had going, which just blow my mind. So thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you.